So thank you so much. Without any further ado, we'll uh, have uh, Maurice come up and, and start sharing. Glory to God. Am I on? Cool. Well, you know what Greg says, I can really relate to. You know, Greg don't know everything. I don't know everything. None of us knows everything. But as you learn and as you communicate with other people, the body builds itself up in love and truth and understanding. And, and as we do, life gets better. And that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the, for the good life that no beer is gonna give to you, I can tell you. But anyway, uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today is exactly what the judgment of God and the judgment of man looks like. You know, listen, we all judge hundreds of things every day. And when I say that, some things are, are menial. Like if I was in mechanical contracting as, as a young person. And, uh, you know, whether I ran pipes under the floor or up in the ceiling, it had, you know, there was like, it might be cheaper to do it this way than it does to do it this way. So you evaluate what the best way to do something is and you do it the best way. So judgments take place all the time about like n numerous things. But when it comes to judging who you are, who God is, and Judgments in regard to like relationships with people you know and love or, or care about or people that you don't even know. When you're judging those types of things, that's where God really comes into the picture because he's a God of relationships. He, he desires for us to know ourselves and to know him and to know other people the way they really are. And when you begin to see things like that, you can begin to judge those deeper things of life in, in, in a proper fashion. So with all that in mind, you know, as I was preparing for this, uh, what I was gonna talk about today, I was sitting on my back porch we, we had a party there the other day with everybody. And uh, I was looking out, and I looked at my neighbor over here, his yard. He's got a pool in his yard. I'm the only one without a pool. I guess I'm too poor to have a pool or whatever. Then I looked at this guy over here, and he has a pool in his yard. And I, it, it's amazing how in, the, in, in just a flash, you can get this idea, this thought. I don't even know how it came about. But I was thinking, you know, if I was sitting out here and looked over here at, at this neighbor and he was having a party with, with a bunch of little kids running around, little boys and girls swimming in a pool, jumping in a pool, and I'd look over at that thing and think, man, that's nice, that's beautiful, that's a wonderful thing, you know? But then I turn and look over at my other neighbor and my other neighbor, is his house 
is being attacked by terrorists. And they go in there and shooting everybody in the house. And there's nothing but death manifesting over it in this neighbor's house. And I look at that and I think to myself, man, that ain't good. Now, as I see these things developing, if I saw these kids playing, I might go over there and say, hey, kids, how y'all doing? You having fun? It would elicit a, an action out of me because of what I was seeing there, what I had evaluated, what I'd seen. And over here, I may either go help my neighbor, fight off the terrorists, or run away. But that is also going to elicit something in me. So there's this evaluative process going on in my heart. Now, this is my second thought. Can you imagine if I was someone else and I was sitting in my seat and I looked over there and I saw the, uh, the terrorists attacking this house. And I thought to myself, you know, I didn't like those people anyway. Those people deserve what they're getting. Is it possible that I might, uh, that someone, not me, I can, <laughs> but is it possible that someone might possibly think that? Absolutely. And then I look at the kids. The kids are still over there playing in the pool. And I look over there and I say, you know what? These people, these people, don't have, can't they see what's going on in this world? These people are running around having fun like nothing's wrong. They need to be the victims of the next terrorist attack. Now, is it possible for someone to possibly think that way? It is possible. And I tell you, listen, listen to this. This is from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. I'll read that again. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Let me tell you what's happening. So we see this one guy who's looking at these events taking place in his, in, in his neighbor's yards. And he has a just weight in his mind. He looks at something that is clearly despicably evil on one hand, and he calls it for what, he is, what it is. And he looks over here at this other yard and sees it for what it is and, and says, that is what it is. So this guy was weighing things properly. But because there was something in that guy's heart that had the capability of properly weighing what, what is going on here. But this other guy, his heart was tainted with something that caused him to call that which is evil good and what is good evil. So what is it what drives our uh, reasoning in our hearts is what is going to determine how we view 
the things that are going on around us. They're gonna, it's going to cause us to consider and understand ourselves and God and everybody around us. So that evaluative process is important. Human judgment takes place in the heart. To weigh and to appraise something properly, to do so, one mu- to, to do that, one must have a proper means of weighing it by. If death, if the death we see manifesting in the world around us is the weight by which we measure, that is an abomination. The just weight is, is the light given us in Christ Jesus. If, if that is your judgment, if it's, if it's the light that is given to us in Christ Jesus, and that is what you are weighing things by, the things that you see manifesting and the way you react to those things is going to be his delight. Our appraisals, our judgments, need to be born from a righteous heart. Listen, listen to these, uh, these, if you all have your Bible, this is from uh, John chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man do his will, we shall know of the doctrine, whether it is be of God or be of himself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh the glory of him who sent that same is true, and no righteousness is in him. So what Jesus was saying here was that if someone is speaking of God, that testimony is true. If he's speaking of himself, it is, that thing is going to be found warning. And he's speaking to the Pharisees at the time. So listen to what he says. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast the devil, who goeth about to kill thee? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye, ye marveled. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not because it was Moses, but of the fathers. And ye, on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, and the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I have made a man whole? on the Sabbath day. He was speaking of a healing that he had just done. And then he tells them this. He says, judge not according to appearances, but judge a righteous judgment.
Now, that, that recalls something else. You remember uh, Samuel was going to go anoint the new king of Israel. He had, re they had reject he, God had rejected Saul as king and said, I'm going to find someone else to rule the kingdom. And uh, the Lord said to Samuel, when he was uh, evaluating, when, not when he was evaluating, yeah, yeah, actually Samuel was evaluating Jesse's sons. And one came to him, his name was Eliab, and he says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his countenance or his height, the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man sees. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Though God may see the external things, the external activities, he appraises the inner man and not the external things, the things of the heart. That's the things that God looks for, looks at. Now listen, as we share, do you have the mic, Matt? Okay, cool. As I share, if anything strikes a, a note with you and you would like to uh, share, just raise up your hand and we'll get you the mic. You know, it's interesting. Eliab's name, it was a deity uh, like uh, the, sh the strength of his father is basically what the name Eliab meant. And, and that's what Samuel was seeing. He was looking at the external appearance of this guy. And it was like the strength that was found in his father that he saw. You know what David's name is? Now, this will blow your name. Do y'all know what David's name was? What it meant? Nobody really knows the name, that what David's name meant. To love. Isn't that an amazing thing? Now here's one guy that, that God's looking at these. Names meant something back in those days and in the scriptures. Names meant something. So Samuel's looking at this one guy whose strength was in his flesh. And then he looks at this other guy, and his name means to love or a token of love. And he says, that's the guy that I want to be the king of Israel. And listen, all of David's life, you read, you read the, uh, the Psalms, and you'll see that that guy had a heart of love in him. Now, he was not a perfect man, just like none of us are. But that guy had a heart of love, and God saw that heart. It, it, was, a, it was a heart that was after, after God's own heart. Now, when you, uh, when you look at the English definition of judging, to judge is to form an opinion or a conclusion about something based on proper, equitable, truthful reality, and to determine a ruling or an edict based on reality. So in essence, it means to rightfully discern and act upon a matter. In Hebrew, the word to judge means to rule, 
Now, that can be to rule as a ruler, but in that rule, that there is judgment that takes place in that rule. And then in the Greek, it means to distinguish, that is to mentally or judicially decide a matter. That's what to judge means. So, Oh yeah. And the people in society who are looking to a ruler, they're measuring their performance according to the rule that's coming from the king. Absolutely. And we're going to get into the fact that there is not just a rule, but a, a measure or a weight that we kind of alluded to earlier that you have to have to measure by. So if you're measuring by the right thing, your judgments are going to be accurate. But if you're, you're not measuring by the right thing, the, the right measurement, the right ruler, you're going to find that your judgments are not right. And I'm going to tell you, there's great benefit to viewing things properly with the right, with the right measures. Now listen, we're going to look real quickly at the way man judges. We have, we all have within us an innate, though diverse concept or an idea of what right and wrong is, good and evil. You know the two guys on my back porch? One of them looking at things and judging it a certain way, and another guy sitting there and evaluating it completely differently? Why? Because there was something inside them that was an understanding of what right and wrong and good and evil is, and they were evaluating according to that knowledge and making judgments and in, in, in doing things based on what they saw. Now, these things we see are generally understood by the things we see, the things we observe, are generally understood. We weigh these things according to our understanding of knowledge of good and evil. You see, that's good, that's evil, you're good, I'm good, I'm not good. So you're constantly judging yourselves, God, and life by your knowledge of good and evil. And which, by the way, in particular in religion, they result in the establishment of traditions or uh, to, to, to live by. Traditions or laws, you know, religious laws. And that's what we see mostly in religion. Uh, you know, if you're a good Baptist, these are the things you do, and these are the things you don't do. And if you're doing the good things, you're doing good. If you're not doing the bad things, if you're doing the bad things, you're not good. So, I mean, this is pervasive in, in, relig in a religious culture. So, can you all see how... So when your measure, when your thinking is based on the knowledge of good and evil, your knowledge of good and evil, and that is the sole standard that the Lord doesn't really enter into the picture too much other than the fact that you know some things about God, can you see where you're evaluating things according to the knowledge of good and evil might go 
awry? Why? Because it is your concept of good and evil and, and right and wrong that you, 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 you're judging by. Now, let's look at how the Lord judges. Mankind, mankind and carnally minded Christians judge according to the flesh, as we have described. Judging, condemning, or accepting set on external means to control external behaviors. So we things that see things that don't look good and we want to fix them by carnal means, right? So, but the Lord is not carnal. So how might he possibly evaluate things? Did you, you had something you wanted to share? <laughs> oh, really? Uh, <laughs> oh, he just gave you the mic. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Be ready. All right. But listen, Jesus and those bearing his mind do not judge according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He judges a righteous judgment. Now, I'm going to find something here real quick. So that last verse of scripture that said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. What, what does it mean to judge a righteous judgment? Anybody have any ideas, thoughts? Go ahead. Yes. In my mind, to judge a righteous judgment requires that you have the proper master weight to weigh the ideas, the thoughts, the situation against. Mm -hmm. You don't have the proper call it master weight, going back to the scale analogy, right? Yes. Where you've got one on each side, right? One side is the master, the other is the idea or concept that's being weighed. Right. If you don't have the right weight to weigh against, mm -hmm. then you're going to screw it up and it'll be an unrighteous judgment. Amen. So having the right master weight to weigh against will give you a righteous judgment. So he said, judge a righteous judgment, okay? So when you look at the word righteous, it speaks of exactly what you're talking about. It says, to, that word righteousness, a righteous judgment, means equitable in character and act, by implication, innocent or holy. So when you have something that is perfect over here and you begin to evaluate things from a perfect stance, then you can begin to look at that which is in the world and may be askewed or imperfect or completely screwed up and begin to have righteous judgments about these things and how to react to those things. Because your judgment is, is based upon a 
life that is equitable in character and in act with God. So, so where does that means, that capacity to see things like that come from? Anybody got any thoughts about that? Reality would be God's mind. What is this? What is His thoughts? What is? Say that again. Yes. I would say um, God's thoughts. What is His mind? That that's the real reality. That's right. That's good. That's cool, because we have to have the mind of Christ to be able to possibly evaluate what's going on with ourselves, with others, and with God. You have to have his mind. You remember what Jesus said here? We're going to go back and look at that. He says, he says, my doctrine is not mine, but it is his who sent me. Right? So where, where did his mind, his evaluative process, his teachings, his instructions, where did, where did uh, what, what is found in Jesus cause him to properly evaluate this situation that he was dealing with? He, and he was properly dealing with it, by the way. They were seeking him to, to, to kill him. Where did that come from? Because it didn't come from him, it came from his father. Now, we're going to start developing this a little bit because we're going to begin to understand that it wasn't just the, just the things that Jesus said and did and taught when he was in the flesh that really communicates to us what it is that is in Christ or in Jesus that enables us to see and evaluate things properly. There's something about Jesus, who he was, what he did at the cross, that begins to show us how to, how to view life properly. But listen, he said in another place, Jesus said in another place, he says, I judge no man. So, but he entrusted all judgment to who? God, or to his Father, okay? Jesus said, I don't teach my doctrine. I teach the doctrine that comes from above, from my Father above. And he says, I judge no man, but I've entrusted all judgment to my Father, to God. So, here Jesus was manifest in the flesh, walking about, and eventually goes to the cross. And what, ha what was happening in his life is meant to speak a word to us about life and about ourselves and about him. And when you begin to see what happened there clearly, then we can begin to judge properly with righteous judgments. When you begin to judge rightly, this is what happens. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He says, in doing so, in judging rightly, 
you will be revealed to be the undefiled children of God in which ye shine as lights in a crooked, crooked and per perverse generation. Now, I got to tell you, that's not a bad place to be in. To be an individual who is evaluating life properly, evaluating yourself and others and God properly, and because you are judging from the right vantage point, you, how does it say? In which ye shine like undefiled children in a crooked and perverse generation. That's a good place to be. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Judge not that ye be not judged. For what measure ye judge, ye shall be judged. And what measure ye meet, it shall be meted to you again. What does that sound like? Hmm? What's that? Bad English. So Jesus said, he said, I don't judge anyone. And then he says, judge not, lest ye be judged. But we just talked about the fact that we all judge and we all make judgments about things. So what does he mean, judge not, that ye be not judged? For what, for what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with, with what measure ye meet, he said in another place, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law, the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and my Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then he said unto them, then they said unto him, Where is thy Father? And Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, ye should have known who my Father was. So the idea that we should not judge men according to the flesh is true. We should not. He didn't judge any man according to the flesh, but he judged according to a righteous judgment, which is the mind of Christ. Greg, did you have something? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Oh, it was it was on. Okay. Cool. Isn't that interesting, though? Then they said unto him, Where is thy father? And Jesus answered, If ye would have known me, you would have known my father. Yet ye have not known me. You, if you would have known me, you would have known my father as well. The father... What was, the, what was the father's judgment of the son? What was his judgment of the son? I mean, if, I, if somebody asked you, how did God judge 
Jesus. That's right. You, you took it right off the page is my thing. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So that was the judgment of God, of the son. And listen, as our minds are renewed and our thinking, we, we, we find ourselves bringing people to his glory. And the reason that is, is we know that the Lord sees us as he sees his son. Okay? So if he sees us the way he sees his son, what is shown us from above through the cross is that we are, find ourselves equitable with the one who is perfect. So our being made perfect, we find ourselves looking at things that are skewed in the world and knowing that it just lacks life. If, if they had the life, they would be okay. But if, they do, if we do not have the life, things are going to be askewed, right? So that's, that's, what the real, that's what the real issue is here. Having the right weight to measure by, as, as you were talking about, you know, Matt? Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin or the, the falling short of the glory. That's the sin, falling short of the glory. Let that, what's that? Let the weight. That's right. Set it aside, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because mankind judges as he does, he quite logically believes that God judges the same way. Matter of fact, this is going to give, give us some insight as we continue on how uh, we see things that are evil and that manifest externally as bad things. And we see these things, judge them to be wrong, and we want to fix those things. That is, that is how our judgment manifests. We want to fix the things around us that are wrong. And we actually believe that's right. Now listen, we've got to kind of step back a little bit, because in the world, that is how they deal with things. That is how life is in this world and amongst men. But it is not so in the kingdom of God. And we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, you see. So we're, 
we're no longer a part of the kingdom of this world. We're set apart from that kingdom. Now we have to function in that kingdom. We have a new ruler. Now we have to function in the kingdom of men. We're in the world and not of the world, but we have to function here. So this, this is my question to y'all, and it's a serious question. So if we're not of the world, if we, if we know that our measurement, the measurement of our lives and the, the measurement of the people around us is, is measured in the hand of, of God in Christ, that he has declared all men innocent, that that's all they have to do is believe on him. And if they believe on him, that perfection becomes theirs. It's like, it's like Christmas time. In other words, if, if I came and I gave Thomas a gift and he looked at it and he said, you know, I don't think I want that gift. The gift wouldn't be his, but it's, in my mind, it, it's his, it's his gift. And that, that's how salvation comes to us. It comes to us as a gift. And a gift is meant to be what? Received. And that's what he's done. He has shown at the cross that all men can be seen in his son, whom he said was, how did you say it early? His beloved son in whom he is well pleased. But our minds, our judgments want to say that can't be true. Look at the way people act. Mm -hmm. But what happens? The minute we begin to point fingers at other people uh, is in regard to their external actions and what they do, our whole thinking and all of our reactions become contrary to God's reactions. So in this world that, where there's a lot of turmoil today, you know, they have the birthday parties and they have the terrorist attacks. In a world that is like that, as believers, as those who have been extricated from the kingdom of men and placed into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom he is well pleased, we have to begin to look at life according to that proper weight. Now, how do you all think that might actually look, though? I mean, yeah, how, how that might look for us. In other words, if we have been established in, in a kingdom that is perfect and that we have been declared perfect once for all, which we have been declared perfect once for all. And the whole world is contrary to that, in particular the religious world. I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to have a lot of people in many churches saying, you are the perfection of God. And this has nothing to do with your behavior. It has to do with who you are to me and what I have done for you. All of this, all of what was done at the cross through his death and resurrection related to his son, we find ourselves in him having 
died to the sin and death that's in this world and raised to life in the newness of life. Now, I got to tell you, this causes, this should cause us to begin to evaluate everything in life differently. And that's what I'm trying to say. How do, how do you deal with things like the terrorism that we see like in the Middle East right now? You know, how do you, how, what do you, how do you look at that and say, what do you do about something that you think is askew in this world as a believer? Anybody got any thoughts about that? Deb? I mean, it affects your heart. It aches your heart. Yes. But for me, I look at them that they're trying to find life. And unless they look to the Lord, they're never going to have life. They're looking in all the wrong places, like the song says, um, mm -hmm. for life. Absolutely. And and for me, that's how I evaluate. And that change within you comes as you're fellowshipping and communing with the Lord and having your thoughts renewed. And so you're walking in the fullness of his life yes, rather than walking in the world's life and what the world says is right. And that's right in the kingdom. And I mean, personally, even sometimes I still fall back into the world's like, Oh yeah. You, know, you get angry, get upset or whatever. Correct. Sure. Absolutely. But it takes me a minute to step back and it's like, no, that's not life. That's right. Life is this. Amen. And, and that's why where Jesus would say, don't judge. In other words, and, and, and listen, this is a curious thing, but when someone says, don't judge something in regard to what's happening in the Middle East, it doesn't compute for them because, listen to this, what's going on, what happened to Israel was an atrocity. You know, th this war that exists, is it's an atrocity for everyone. Nothing but death manifesting. Israel has to defend itself, I understand that, and in war people die, you know. But, but the issue is what is happening in the world and in the hearts of the men participating in the world that, that don't know God, they really don't know God, they are, it's kind of like the, drown, the drowning man fighting to stay afloat. And this is what you're seeing. They're struggling to find life, and as you, as you shared, and in that, that struggle to find life manifests itself in all kinds of terrible things. Well, it's not even... It's not even people that don't have the Lord. Um, people that have the Lord and have been taught wrongly right. judge. I Absolutely. Mean, you see it with um, the homosexuals being judged, the, the whole gays being judged. I mean, if it doesn't fit into their mold, yeah, there's something wrong with them. Right. 
So it's it's only when you have the true knowledge of who God is and that he is love and good and kindness and understanding these words like what is his judgment, you know? Yeah. That it makes a difference. Amen. Did you want to share something, Mark? I was just thinking how there's really nothing new under the sun. Oh, yeah. You know, that the things <laughs> that we see it really isn't anything new happening. Yeah. But God's promise is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains the same. And as we see things happening in the world or happening around us, it's really just a sign that death is just coming to an end, yeah. you know, and that life is continuing to come forth. Yeah. You know, when I see things, I think it doesn't have eternal life, you yeah. know, the, and I can function from a place of rest and peace and safety and security, no matter what's going on around me because of, you know, the Lord in me, of God in me, his promise in me, his promise of his life in me, manifesting his face inside of me, manifesting. And so it just brings great peace and comfort. And yes, we can also be sad and angry and experience those things, even in the midst yes. of such, you know, comfort and peace and security, knowing that it's not always going to be like this. And, um, so that gives me great hope. That's right. And listen, in that hope, when you are relating to, when you're considering within yourself, you have that hope. So that hope causes you not to be overcome by the death that you see in the world, but to actually, it's crazy, but actually be established in the midst of the hope. It's crazy. N not to be fearful of what might take place in the world, but to actually be strengthened because what is in you is far greater than what you're seeing in the world. Hope overcomes me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it's going to have you, not just you, all of us, you know, behaving or reacting in, in our lives to things in, in a way that somebody is going to want to say, where does your hope come from? In the midst of the turmoil, where does that hope come from? Listen, nothing in this world can affect eternal life, can, can take eternal life away from you. And in the, in the love that you know that God has for you and that he has accepted you completely, fully, that, that life in, inside of you can have you steadied in the midst of that turmoil. And that's where we want to be. You want to be in a position where you are a, how did, how did Paul say it here? I, I really like the way he wrote it. Uh, let's see if I can find, find this again. In doing so, in thinking like this, and having this mind that was also in Christ in you, in doing so, you will be revealed to be the undefiled children of God in which ye shine 
as lights in a crooked and perverse generation. I don't know how much better it can get than that. But, uh, you know, just get to get back to my little board here. So, everyone judges. There are two forms of judgment. There's man's judgment and there's God's judgment. Man's judgment is based on reasoning rooted in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's judgment is based on the power of an indestructible life. And when you have that weight, you know, y'all remember the, the uh, symbol for justice, not the symbol, but the statue of justice, this woman who has the scales and the sword in her other hand? Well, the scales, I, I kind of looked that up. The scales represent fairness or equity. I, and however, the scales also represent something else. In other words, if you're being judged and the scales tip against you, you are found guilty and the sword is wielded. That's what you see in the judgment of men. If the weight is, shows you to be innocent, then you would, you'll walk, okay? But with God, he is the other side of the scale. And when your life is weighed in his balance, you find yourself completely acceptable to God. And that, and that is how we have been judged. We've been judged innocent before God in love. And just like the thief on the cross who never did a good thing in his life, who merely looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did, God, what did the Lord say to him? This day you will be with me in paradise. So it, it, it's not a behavior thing. That's an external thing. What it is, it's a matter of the heart. So God's judgment is based on the power of an indestructible life. And that life is ours in Christ Jesus. Why? Because our lives cannot be taken away from us. We have eternal life. Now, here's the kicker. God wants his judgment to be our judgment. Let's see if I can flip this thing over. There we go. All right. Okay. There we go. Got it? Are we still in? No, no. Go back. That's the girl looking at the screen. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's okay. It's just a little bit different setup, you know. So, when you look at, when I say what man sees, actually, let's look at these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll get on over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 
verse 6. Now we speak a wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world who are coming to know it. Okay? Now, remember, listen to what he said. Now we speak a wisdom among the perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. Who are the perfect? We are the perfect, okay? Not because of our behavior, but because of whose we are, who we are connected and joined with. That is why we're perfect, not because of our behavior. But we speak of wisdom of God in a mystery, even hid, a hidden wisdom, which is or, was ordained by God before the foundation of the world for our own glory by which none of the princes of this world knew, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit that is of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things freely given us. Now, when you look at God's judgment in an overall sense. Listen, his judgment, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, in his mind. And that judgment is from everlasting to everlasting. It's the eternal judgment of God. His judgment of us is seen in him. Now, the way man sees, sees life, okay, is that, and not only man, just reality, how things came down in, in, in life. In the garden, mankind, what? What did they do? Partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is where the judgment of man came into, into, into play. And that judgment lasted until the cross where Jesus became the tree of life through which we might partake and possess that eternal life. And then for us, that judgment after the cross is, is the eternal judgment of God in us. We have that eternal life and that is his judgment toward us. I deem they have eternal life. I weigh them as I weigh myself, perfect. And I'm going to tell you, there's no other life that's fit for the kingdom of God. Perfection, it, you, you have to have the righteousness of God 
the perfection of God amalgamated with your life that you might be his perfection. But now that we are his perfection, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Now, I'm trying to recall exactly the judgment of man. Okay. So when you look at mankind and how, how they view judgment, okay, it began at the, in the garden, okay, and the judgment of man lasts all the way till the time when the Lord returns and plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. At that point, the judgment of man is self-terminated and the judgment of that indestructible life at that point goes on forever. Do you see where I'm, where I'm coming from? So there's going to be a time when the hope that resides within us is going to be fully manifest in the earth. And that's when he plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. Anybody have any thoughts? You do. It's so many beautiful things you say there, and I love all those verses. Um, the, the judgment of man, the way it, it comes into the earth and the reason it's after appearance is because when man ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they saw death in themselves and they saw weakness in themselves. Yes. And so they judged that since the weakness is death, since this death in the flesh is a sign of not having life, then the judgment must be for the flesh to look strong is the sign that you do have life. That's right. So then they begin judging after appearance. Yes. And that's why they would judge Jesus after the Sabbath. Because they would say to be strong in the flesh would be to rest on the Sabbath. But they perceive Jesus to be working on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes and says, those who seek God's glory are the ones that are doing righteousness or are in the, the light of the true judgment. Those who seek their own glory, yes. which would be to look at themselves and the strength they can bring forth themselves in order to have life. And to seek the glory of God would be to seek God and the life God has in himself and his desire to serve human beings with life. So Jesus is walking around seeing people in death, and he judges the Father has life in himself. That's right. And the Father desires to serve these people with his life. Yeah. So now he's walking around in that judgment, serving people with life who are suffering at the hands of death. And that's why his judgment was, was true. And, yeah. and that's why what he was doing on the Sabbath was still also not a violation of the truth. That's right. Um, but yeah, I love how you say there the, the judgment of God. And I think for me, while you were just talking, I could think of what was God's judgment before anything existed to kind of help remove the cobwebs. And, and what I see that God's judgment was before anything existed was that I have life in myself. And apart from me giving my life to something, there is no ability or power for them to have life. That's right. And it should anything not have my life, then it will just become nothingness. And, and to the point of the wars, God can be grieved over the wars because he could see that that's not life. 
But in his mind, his judgment is even these wars are being brought to nothingness because I'm the only one that has life in myself. And these wars do not have life in themselves. That's right. This world system doesn't have life in itself. So it's actively returning to nothingness, right? To, yep. a, to a next point. Amen. Well, I don't know if it could be said any better. You know how when we talk about judgment, there's this evaluative process. We reason about what takes place, and then there's an action. Well, the Lord knew what life was going to look like. He understood all of this. And he judged. His judgment is seen at the cross. Right? Yep. So the, the, this, is what the, this is what the issue is. You know, the Apostle Paul said, there is no one righteous, not even one. So in other words, righteous in and of our flesh, okay? There is no one who does not do things that the world or, or God might deem as wrong. So there is no one perfect, not even one. But he looks at us apart from the deeds of the flesh and says, this is my judgment of them. And you see the cross. This is my judgment that took place at the cross. He loved me and he gave himself for me. That's, that's why the Apostle Paul would find himself also likewise in Christ. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Yet as I, I live, but not I, it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I got to tell you something. You walk in that life you don't have to fear what is happening in the world at all. But you can be grieved about things. You can have passion and concern and love for the people who are struggling just like you struggle in life and just like the Lord struggled on the cross for us and suffered on the cross for us. You can look at these things and be grieved about it, yet knowing that the life that you have cannot be taken, cannot be impinged upon, and, and, and that that life actually overcomes all the death that's found in the world. Yes? You know, I used to look at uh, what Paul said in Romans concerning the carnal mind from a, from a eisegesis standpoint. In other words, mm -hmm. I had this image in my heart, so I wanted to find a verse that would fit that image. Mm -hmm. And in that, I came to the conclusion where he said, for to be carnally minded is death, meaning that if I'm carnally minded, it's going to produce death. But that's not really what he's saying there, because in what he's saying, he's making a contrast of the carnal mind versus the mind of the spirit. Mm -hmm. The carnal mind is, a, is operating from a wisdom that's always considering death. Yes. And the wisdom of the world will only take us to death. But the wisdom from above 
will take us through death. Yes. Amen. No doubt. Okay. Jay? I think one of the things that's challenging um, in this, and it picks up on what um, Matt was saying, was is that from man's perspective, when we talk about judgment, it is entirely a punitive activity. Mm-hmm. And, and even as we get this teaching, it's still one of those things where you have to have that unwound in your heart, right? Right. The dictionary of our heart needs to have the proper definition and understanding of judgment substituted in there so that you understand exactly what we're talking about here this morning. Yes. Because I even struggle when I read, go through and read the word judgment. I have to sometimes just consciously stop and say, wait, right? That's just God's opinion or God's judgment. It's not, yeah. you know, not circular reasoning, but that's his statement, his fact, his truth about what he believes about a specific thing. Yes. And and the fact that man has taken the word judgment and it is entirely punitive mm-hmm. makes it very difficult for someone who has not been taught properly to understand the scriptures and what they truly are saying. You know, when you look at the, as you, as you share that, when you look at the uh, judicial uh, legal system in, in the world, in our country even, you know, it is a punitive system. In other words, you know, you punish the transgressor and hopefully he learns his lesson because he was punished and when he gets out, he's a better person. But that is, there's no restorative element to that. Although I know there is supposedly, uh, they, they try to rehabilitate people when they're in prison. I guess maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm not 100% in, in sure. Theory, in, the, theory. in theory. I mean, but ideally, ideally, you know, even in the world, okay, you want to have restorative just, the justice to where uh, if somebody does something heinous or wrong or whatever and goes to jail, that when he comes out the other end, he is actually a better person, that there is a restoration that takes place on the other end. And God's judgment is a restorative judgment. That, that his judgment took place at the cross. He did this to restore us or to reconcile us back to him. That, that we might have not come out the other end like reformed, but come out the other end converted with a life that can actually uh, reason about life properly and would go on forever. Listen to the, the way uh, Paul finishes up uh, 1 Corinthians here. He's, we, we read, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us, which things we speak, not in words uh, of, of man's wisdom do we teach, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive these things that are of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is subject to the judgment of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. 
and listen, when, when you are so blessed to have been judged by God, declared innocent at the cross, I don't know, I honestly can't imagine for the life of me how someone could, could, can look at this, at the judgment of God, our being declared righteous at the cross, his judgment, okay, and say, I don't want that. I mean, honestly, why would someone say, God came to judge me, and he judged me at the cross, declared me righteous, like his beloved son in whom he is well pleased, and I don't want that. And as a result of it all, he's going to give me eternal life. I will have eternal life. I don't know why someone would possibly reject that. Listen, being a believer, a Christian, whatever it is, has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with a God who wanted to reveal, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it's interesting what he goes on in the next verse and says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, that all might come to believe on him. And you experience that judgment of God, you realize you have nothing to fear by judgment. There's nothing to be feared by the judgment of God. And in the end, we're going to, next week we're going to talk a little bit more about this. We're going to talk about the final judgment and what it looks like and how it's perceived by men. But I think you're going to find even that is from a different perspective. Why? Because our perspective is now different than it once was. Anybody got any thoughts? I'm going to pray for a second. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. Sure. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Some people like to think for a second. Okay. That's right. But then they hesitate. Yes. Yeah, I would like to try it. Is it on? It's on. Hello. Hey. Um, one of the thoughts I was thinking about all of this, and you have to be cautious about, is trying to tell yourself. Don't judge that because you need to think in the spirit, spiritual mind and not the carnal mind mm -hmm. before you start thinking about something to judge. Mm -hmm. Like that, that would be my tendency to go, oh, oh, don't do that, you know. Yeah, this is definitely not a rule that we're talking right. about. It's so, not a rule. I mean, and I understand totally what you're saying. It's a different perspective, a different way of so looking. I guess what I'm kind of trying to say is to really know who you are. Yes. And then that won't be that way. It won't yes. be. And when sometimes you end up judging yourself, it's kind of hard to say that's who you really are. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I and then you start judging it. people in the earthly mind. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, did I confuse everyone? No, 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 no. That's perfectly understandable. And I'll tell you why, why I say that's understandable. The first person that we normally judge is ourselves, okay? And we are looking at, we look at ourselves, our behavior all the time. And 
it's not a good thing, okay? But we do. But what we're speaking of here is, is coming to a, a, a clearer understanding of who we are to Him. You know, understanding that His heart, His mind, His life, everything was focused on us, in, our, in restoring us, in making us perfect, in giving, giving us His life, you know? And, and as we begin to understand this and kind of like assimilate it into who we are, properly dealing with the things we see in our life or in our own personal lives begins to become natural. Because if you make it a rule, listen, we, we have how many broken New Year's resolutions? Uh, you're not going to be able to resolve yourself to thinking a particular way. It's, it's got to come to you through the Spirit. I was just going to say that, look, everybody listening right now wants to have the judgment of God. Nobody yeah. wants to have the judgment of the carnal mind. Nobody wants to reason from the foundation of death. Mm -hmm. So how do you get there? I can tell you, I can tell you. What a question. That was oh, a question. <laughs> yeah, okay, go ahead. You're going to tell us. <laughs> tell tell me, now. tell me. Okay, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think you, the way you get there is... You get exposed to the judgment of God. You get exposed mm -hmm. to the truth. Mm -hmm. And the truth yeah. does its own work in your heart. It's like uh, patience and love. And these things happen to you. You can't, look, it, it, a lot of people may be clicking onto this and, and, and thinking, well, I don't want to read the Bible. That's just a rule book. Well, that's a judgment. Yeah. We would say it's a love letter. Mm -hmm. It's sure. a different perspective. Yeah. Well, how do we make the judgment it's a love letter, not a rule book? And some of us still read it as a rule book sure. because that's been indoctrinated. Absolutely. It's because we come to know the author. Yes. And we come to know the author's heart. And then we read the same verse we read five years ago that someone misrepresented to us, and we see it from God's perspective, from God's judgment, and now we have God's judgment on that verse. Amen. That's Amen. how we get there. Absolutely. And so we don't have to worry. And look, I agree with Lisa. It's a natural, uh, carnal default reaction to I, thou shall not judge. That's mm -hmm. not what it's saying. Yeah. That's it's what it's saying is, son, I love you. Know my know my opinion of you. That's right. And when you know my opinion of you, you're gonna know my love for you, and you're gonna love yourself, and you're gonna love me, and you're gonna start seeing my opinion of you as the same as your neighbor, and you're gonna love your neighbor, and this yeah. is gonna happen that way. Amen. The last Absolutely. thing I want to say is, uh, you know that thief on the cross mm -hmm. who turned to Jesus and said, "Remember me in paradise." Mm -hmm. He didn't tithe. Okay. He didn't tithe. Really? He didn't read his Bible. No. <laughs> you know what he did? He turned to God who was right next to him, getting crucified with him. Yeah. Mm. Amen. Mm. That's oh, what he oh, did. Oh, yes. And, and <laughs> I think Lisa's absolutely right. That is the natural reaction. But this isn't about how you're going to look at individual situations and you need to have the right judgment right. in individual situations. Yes. It's that there's one judgment and the judgment is the father has life in himself. And because when he looks at you, he says that you are very good and creation is very good. He has poured out of himself, his life onto you. He has come to serve you with his life. That's the only judgment you're looking at. 
And in being persuaded of that judgment, it has an organic effect in you where the things you begin to think about individual situations are born from that one judgment. It's not about how I got to figure out every one of these individual judgments and figure out how God would see this judgment or that judgment or or what it would be. It's that it's this one judgment. And I love how you you quoted all the verses in John. It says Jesus is the light that entered the world and he's the light that lights up every man. Every man with what? The judgment. Yep. That God called creation and mankind very good before we could do anything right or wrong. He did it before we could do anything right or wrong. That was his judgment. And you see his judgment at the beginning of Genesis when he said, let there be light, which is that I have life in myself and I desire to pour out my life onto somebody else. And that was all of us. And so you see God there even saying, I'm the only immortal. I'm the only one who has life. And I want to lay down my life for creation, for mankind. That's his judgment. The judgment can never change. So when he comes into the earth and he sees death manifesting in somebody, he doesn't judge them according to the death that's manifesting in them. He doesn't look at his creation or his people and say, because I see the death, they're no good, they're evil. He says, my creation that is good, my people that are good, they're dying. They're perishing, and he comes to show them that he has life in himself because the death that entered the world that manifested in our flesh that convinced us that life is found in the strength of man or the strength we can see in ourselves is killing us. And he's always wanting to show us the power to have life isn't whether and you see strength or weakness in each other's flesh or whether you see strength or weakness in the world. The power to have life is found in me because I'm the only one who has life in myself. Right. And so then when you see somebody in death or someone with death manifesting in them, your judgment would be that they're very good. Your judgment would be that they're the beloved of God. Your judgment would be that they just don't know that the life they're longing for is found in the father. And it's not found in what they see in themselves or what they see in the world around them. And then you would begin uh, interacting with them that way. But also your judgments about yourself. You wouldn't judge yourself according to what you see yourself anymore. You wouldn't judge yourself according to the position you have in life or the stock you have in life. You wouldn't judge yourself by whether or not people esteem you or honor you because none of those things would possess life in them anymore. And the only reason why you judge yourself by anything is if you think you see something that means you don't have life. And the moment you come and say, this doesn't have the power to give me life or take away life from me, it strips the judgment that you have of yourself. And you begin to see the Father has life in himself. And the Father has given that I could have his life in myself because he poured out of himself his life on the cross. And now that judgment that I have life keeps you from judging yourself, which is why Paul would say, it matters not if you judge me, yea, I judge not my own self. That's right. Right? Right? And and that's how the thing gets stripped. Yep. Were, Were you looking for this? Yeah. <laughs> Say anything better than that. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. The sower goes out to sow, you know. So he sowed the word. It was just reading in um Mark 4 when you were t- Thomas you were talking about how do we do this? You know, and we we become persuaded and we become persuaded by hearing and hearing and looking and reading the word for ourselves too as well. Not only knowing the word, hearing the word, the faith of the Son of God and being persuaded, um, but also, you know, Jesus said, and I'll just read from Mark 4, and he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad. 
If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure ye meet it, shall it be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So I was just thinking, you know, take heed what you hear with what measure ye meet. We're Mm -hmm. talking about the measure, the measure being Christ. That's right. What wisdom? What wisdom? wisdom? Christ is the wisdom of God. Mm -hmm. Right. And when when you have Christ, listen, you have everything because the judgment of God tells us in Christ that we've been accepted into the Beloved. We've been translated from darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Um, One of the things that jumped out at me on your whiteboard was I do chafe with the authorities of men. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I just find myself kind of going, who put these stupid people in charge of us? You know, and I'm like, how did they get there? And so, yeah, you, you walk around in this world and and you find yourself subject to their edicts, their their rules. And by the way, everybody pay your taxes and just, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. But to see that the judgment of man comes to an end. Uh-huh. Man, I, it's like, come Lord Jesus, you know, I, the sooner the better. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, I can tell you, we, we all look forward to that day. There's no oh, doubt there's about no it. There's no doubt. I, I, the, the other thing that, that hit me as far as judgment is when y'all were talking about how a righteous judgment kind of, it's formed in you. I also feel that validation when when you experience liberty, when you experience freedom, yeah. Um, when you know that I have a life in me that can't be taken, it, it, it's like that's that liberty and freedom where it's like, I don't care what you think or say about me because, I mean, I do, but you can't take my life. Um, so I, I just love the fact that the understanding of God's judgment is just an ongoing thing where you just keep learning and keep learning, you know, his goodness for you, mm-hmm. his life is for you. Mm-hmm. And you don't stumble over, you don't stumble over silly authorities and you don't stumble over stupid doctrines. Yeah. yeah listen, that's right. Yeah, listen, when you're looking at the world for justification mm-hmm. or when you're looking at, uh, at the world to uh, to give you that life, you're going to be stumbling in the dark. Okay, <laughs> but but when you, when you're that's that's what's an interesting thing about the idea of circumcision, and that the cutting away of the flesh for life, that what is spirit remains. Okay, that's spiritual circumcision, and his circumcision tells us that we have been accepted in a beloved and we're not looking to 
our strength to establish life for ourselves. He's been he's already given us life. You know the stuff that you were reading concerning spiritual judgment and comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Yes. We, all we have to do is back up one chapter, and it's no coincidence that he was talking about, I would know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. Mm -hmm. And to pick up on what Thomas said, he said, you have to go somewhere to be exposed to that wisdom. Yeah. Where do we go to be exposed to that wisdom? We go to the cross. Mm -hmm. It's no coincidence that this message would come forth right now, right on the heels of what Greg just brought forth mm -hmm. on fellowshipping with the sufferings of Christ. Sure. And anybody that's not listened to last week's message or the Zoom meeting from Jay's house Wednesday night, go get in that because this feeds right into that. It's at the cross that we're exposed to that wisdom. And, and right. as we fellowship with the sufferings, we're exposed to it. And as we behold him, it's born in us and we are conformed into that same image. Amen. So from faith to, to faith, faith, so that his faith becomes our faith, his wisdom becomes our wisdom, and it becomes our default. And that's why Jesus would say, it's not my judgment. It's, it's, a, it's a judgment of the one who sent me. It's not my doctrine, but the doctrine of the one who sent me. And Christ is the doctrine of God and because what he did for us is completely sufficient for our eternal salvation, the establishment of life, and peace. It, when he cried on the cross, it is finished. He meant it. He meant it. I just want to yes. re reiterate what Jay said about what people think about the judgment of god because oh yeah I, I think people look at god's judgment you could look at that a couple of ways you could look at the end result of what god's judgment is and you can define god's judgment that way you could look at what god's judgment actually is which is what mm -hmm. we're doing today mm -hmm. and i think most of the christian world would look at the result of god's judgment and then use that definition to then use it by a condemning metric mm -hmm. whereby they would define god's judgment as a condemning thing because they only define it by the fruit that they see. Yes. And, and so, for example, the judgment of God, if there's a murderer standing in front of God, God's judgment would be, I'm the only one that has life in myself. In the day you try to bring forth life yourself, it's going to bring forth the fruit of death in your life. Mm -hmm. That's why this murder is coming out of you, because you're looking to the strength you see in yourself to try to produce life. And now that's bringing forth all manner of the fruit of the flesh in you. And so that's God's judgment of what happened there. It's his description of how the murder came forth. It isn't him coming and condemning somebody. And the, to your point about the restoration, uh -huh. the, the, the judgment that's unto restoration, that would be God restoring the murderer by coming and telling him, this murder has come out of you. By the way, someone who's murdering, that murdering is punishing them. That's not a yeah. nice thing. They're not filled with peace and love and joy as they're murdering people. They're being tormented by the murder. Yes. They're being tormented by the spirit of fear. And so God's idea would be to come and explain to them the murder that's causing you to suffer is coming forth because you're looking to your own strength to produce life. I'm the only one who has life in myself, and I don't just have life in myself, but my whole purpose, I don't want to say my whole purpose with relation to humans, the thing that's in my heart is to serve you with my life. That's what's in my heart. And that's where the restoration would come in. Yes. Because then that person would stop looking to the strength in their own hand for life, and they would see life can only come forth by the power of God. Then they would be delivered from death, and they would be delivered from the fruit of death. Right. And so that's how God's judgment would have to be restorative. 
But I think mo most people don't understand that God doesn't punish people with the death. God tells people what produces death, right? That's a big difference. Yeah. So he doesn't look at people behaving bad and say, let me now come give them some death. He looks at the people behaving bad, and he sees they're already dead. And so you don't punish a dead person by giving them death, right? They're already dead. That is the punishment. And so the only reason why you would come is to give them life. And the way you would give them life is by revealing, I have life in myself, and here I am to give it to you. And in them seeing you giving them life, they would stop laboring for life themselves. Yes, and then the cross, the cross communicates all that to us. That's the whole you know, you, you look at the cross and you see his suffering and you see our suffering in him. And, and when, you, when you see that like beautiful picture of him identifying with us in our sufferings, in our struggles, and knowing that he had something in himself that overcame the cross and he wants to give that same life to you, it puts your heart to rest. And he saw that exact judgment yes. on the cross. The Father has life in himself. Yes. Right? And yep. he is willing to lay his life down for you. Right. To Amen. pour out of himself his life for you. And then Jesus cries out, Abba. And now we see the judgment of God. Right? Yep. In the face of our own judgment. Yep. Because listen, you had God there making a judgment, but you had man there making a judgment. Mm. And look at the judgment we made about Jesus. Yep. He's the smitten and stricken of God. Go read Isaiah. It says that he was smitten and stricken by man, and then we esteemed him smitten and stricken by God. Yep. But what was Jesus' judgment? Which is that the Father's face is not hid from me. He does not despise me because of the weakness in my body. The Father has life in himself, and the Father desires to pour out of himself his life into me. Abba! Amen. And there you see the whole presentation. Amen. Mm. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's pray. We'll close out. Father, we uh, thank you, Lord, for who you are, what you did for us, the meaning of it, the fact that, that the reality of who you are has come to us and that we can experience you, experience the life that's in you, experience the, 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 the blessing and the forgiveness and the, and the grace that you bestowed upon us. And Lord... Uh, I think about uh, both Larry and Jim right now that, you know, they're struggling physically and we pray for their uh, strengthening in their, in their inner man that, that they might uh, overcome this and bring healing to their bodies and strengthen them, Lord. We, we love you and we know you, the giver of all good things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Oh, man. <laughs>